This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalino. And I'm your host, Matt Scalino. And Matt, I am so fired up for today because we've got Lenny Moy. He's the founder and president of Aragon Properties. Aragon, of course, a lot of people will know, we've always been excited about Aragon because they create such unique and design forward projects in the city. And they're always like different, right? Yeah, it is truly. And I I mean, this sounds like we're really pumping Aragon's tires, but it's true. If I know where I'm showing an Aragon property, it's right. like, I'm excited to go. I'm yeah. like, oh man, this is going to be great. And also I know that the client's going to be like, oh my God, yeah, you know, this is this is unique. Well, we talk about that with Lenny and we go deep here in terms of kind of the background of Aragon, but also how Lenny, he got his start in the 80s in Vancouver. Um, not from Vancouver. No. New to Vancouver, saw opportunities. We talk about how he sees opportunities in the market how they've built their reputation. And I got to tell you, this is different than most shows we've had with developers on and founders and presidents of development companies. Lenny is uh, is doing something that it, I would argue is against the grain. In exactly. And, and against the grain, almost purposefully against the grain for, a, for, for decades. Right. So, you know, we, we, I ask him a couple of sort of very pie in the sky type questions where he's like, you know, do the work. What are you talking about? Uh, he, he, he brings you, he grounds you. He, he, he grounded it. Yeah. Uh, but it, but there is kind of a philosophy that comes out of, out of this conversation and it's, and it's an inspiring one. Yeah. It, it was, it was really an interesting conversation. No. Yeah. And yeah, the last 10 minutes or so, it was like you had peyote in your coffee. <laughs> so I stay tuned for that. I don't know what you're talking about. You really go, uh, you go uh, yeah, Tim Ferriss deep. I know I did. And, uh, yeah, I, and he didn't, yeah, reciprocate. He was like, what are you talking about? Just <laughs> like, you do the work, you show up, you do the work, There's so you many. go home. I think that's almost generational in, in a way that's kind of exciting. Like, you know, I think, I, I don't know how old Lenny is, but I'm just thinking, okay, he got out, he was a young guy, mid eighties, he's older than- Well, he was in his late twenties in the eighties. Okay. So yeah, he's, I don't know even what that, you do the math, but I feel like you could call him a boomer. Oh Yeah. He's, oh, yeah. he's of the boomer generation. Sure. And there's just that different take on, you know, where you go, when you try to go pie in the sky, it's like. He's a, he's a guy who wants to do the work and he wants to challenge himself and he wants to challenge his team. And, and his team is, it's almost like that's the, the whole ethos, the ethos right? Yeah. It's, it's like, you just, it's like a constant challenge, do hard things, yeah. do exciting things. Yeah. Which, uh, which is amazing. And this is a great conversation before we cut to this chat with Lenny, Matt, couple housekeeping items. We've got VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com, our site. It's been completely revamped. Tons of useful information to go and deep dive on uh, behind the scenes and yeah. 
And, and you know uh, what's the most useful, Adam? What's in that? My, in my mind, there's a button. It says sell with us. Yes. You click on that button, you get the sold plan. The sold plan is the most downloaded document we've ever created. And we're going to be beefing it up. But realistically, it's just a step-by-step guide about how to get your property ready for market. It's easy. It's straightforward. It's about a two-week process. You know, it could, it might take you a night. If you're a minimalist, you're maybe already there. If you're, you know, but it really, it's getting that place ready and how to present your property for, and and some ideas around that for getting it ready for market to make sure that you get top dollar, the most amount of money in the shortest amount of time. That's the idea. Absolutely. And you know what? We're in the doldrums of summer. Yes. Not a lot of people thinking about uh, listing properties now, but it's it's a useful document to get if you're thinking spring, if you're thinking maybe after Labor Day. Right. This is a document you need now. This so is. head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Yeah, sign up. And if you're in the industry and you want to check out the resource, uh, sign up for it as well. We've got a lot of realtors looking at it. And uh, if, it's, uh, if it's useful, we want to share it. That's what we're all about here at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. So definitely sign up. It's an instant download. Matt, how good is summer in Vancouver this year? I just can't believe it. It's, you know what? I'm going crazy. It, everything about this, we're doing this uh, uh, a couple weeks in advance. I think when this comes out, I'll be, uh, I'll be heading back. You'll be heading to back to Vancouver. And I'll be very... How excited do you get to come back to Vancouver after three weeks in Winnipeg? <laughs> and, and you know no what? And I, have Winnipeg, a, I have a great saying. time. I have, I'm, I'm having a great time in Winnipeg. Yes. Uh, because oh, we're there, you're there. You're this is what I'm doing. I'm pretending right to that I didn't do this in advance. It. But it, it's great. Summer in Manitoba is a great place, but there's almost no place. I just saw a guy from Toronto who has not spent a lot of time in Vancouver. He was just here. He tweeted. He said, Vancouver is the closest thing to paradise I've ever been, seen in the summer. And it's true. It is literally. It's unbelievable. It's paradise. So I'm, I'm excited to get home. We've been, uh, yeah, using the beaches a lot more, but man, it's, uh, it's just so good. And the seawall's packed and uh, people are excited and there is a good summer vibe here. So let's keep it going. Hopefully we've got a couple more uh, weeks of this. And uh, yeah, but without further ado, Matt, let's cut to this conversation with Lenny Moy. Absolutely. This is a, this is a fantastic one. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at marcon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at marcon.ca or follow them at Instagram at marconhomes. Marcon, building for life. Okay, so we're here with Lenny Moy. He's the founder and president of Aragon Properties. How you doing, Lenny? 
Great, Adam. Thanks so much for taking the time today. Appreciate you coming down to the studio. I know you got a busy day. Uh, can you maybe start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm not sure how much detail you really want. Go deep. All the way back. Go deep. <laughs> <laughs> so I was born in Hong Kong and uh, came when I was eight or nine years old when uh, my sister sponsored the rest of the family. And I started off in Toronto, grew up there, went to high school, went to university in the University of Western Ontario, got my engineering degree, have my MBA from there as well, from the Ivy School, and came out here in 1985 and worked for somebody else and started a division here in Vancouver. And in 1988, started Aragon. 1988? Yes. Okay. Interesting. So... I guess I'm curious. So you, you moved from Hong Kong to Toronto. Yes. You come out as a young adult to Vancouver right around Expo. Yes. It seems like that is in the in the general historical, the real estate history. That's a that's an important moment. Do you remember thinking back at that to that time when you came to Vancouver? Was it obvious? Hey, there's some opportunity here. In fact, one of the reasons why I came out to Vancouver was because of my prior position for the company that I work for, they didn't have a position for me. And uh, they, I guess they saw some potential of, uh, of a kid coming out of university. And so my job was to look for opportunities for them. And so when I did that across Canada, I looked at Vancouver, I looked at various cities, and I identified Vancouver as a place that I thought there was a lot of opportunities. And selfishly, I like the climate. So I, uh, <laughs> I uh, suggested to uh, my old boss that I come out to Vancouver and open their office. And so that was in 1984-85. And I did see opportunities. And I can see that the city at that time, although that's a long time ago, I saw that there was opportunities for growth. And because that, for those people that have been around long enough, there were the very high interest rate years of the early 80s, and Vancouver was just emerging from that correction, and I did see that happening. Can you talk about um, maybe why real estate? Like, how did you get into real estate? It was by luck, uh, really. So I have an engineering degree, and I worked as an in, uh, engineer in the consulting engineering business. And frankly, when I got into that world, I didn't see that as fitting my personality. And therefore, I decided to go back and take further education and got my MBA. In so doing, there was a lapse in time, and I was able to look for other opportunities or jobs. And I happened to land with a developer who put me on a construction site. And so that's how I got into the real estate industry on its own. It would be, I think, useful for us to, to understand why you transitioned from being in a company, starting a division in an area to starting your own development company. Can you talk a bit about that? And in a pretty short time, yeah. really, like 84, 85 in Vancouver to 88, Aragon seems like a pretty quick transition. Well, I, I think I had some good training because I came to Vancouver. I was the only person for that company. I started a division. I hired all of my staff. I had my own office. And so therefore... During the period when I was considering what to do, and I would say there were, I didn't, I didn't start out to be an entrepreneur. I would say that. I think there were circumstances and it's very detailed. So I don't think I really want to get into all of that. 
But there was a point in time when there was a crossroads and I had to decide what to do with my life. And I decided to, why not at that young age, start a new company? Because as I would say to others, you can always work. You can always find a job. Mm -hmm. And there are points in your career when you can take risks. And at that point in time, I was 29 years old or so, I could take risks. And therefore, I decided to take the leap at that point in time to start my own company. Because more or less, I had already done that with starting a division already. So it didn't feel uncomfortable for me. That's kind of a unique position to be in. Uh, first of all, a young age being sent to a different city to basically open up an office where you have presumably the kind of knowledge and experience of the folks back east to rely on, but you're still basically creating something ground up. It It is almost, it gives you that kind of foundation to to say, I can do this on my own. Yeah, it was an exciting time for me when I look back you know, as a young 25, 26-year-old and seeing where I was back then. I mean, I came to Vancouver and interestingly, I got onto the 35th floor of Park Place, had my own office, and I thought, wow, this is like I've made it already kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so it was a, you know, it was a very exciting and interesting time. I was here on my own. I didn't know anybody in the city. So I worked hard. I would admit that. And um I think I built a good foundation by uh, by knowing that it was uh, me on my own two feet and and making a go of it. And if it didn't go, then I would be going back with the uh, tail between my legs kind of thing. Can, can you talk about Aragon's first development project? Sure. So basically, I started on a shoestring, didn't have any money per se, and tried to determine how to best navigate an industry which is capital intensive. And at the same time, utilize my skills that I had at the time. And the uh, position that I had with my prior company was acquiring real estate. Uh, I bought, um, basically, in the old days, there were things called MURBS, M-U-R-B-S. And they were a tax-advantaged investment that the government endorsed in in order to build more rental housing. And so that was a category of buildings that I used to buy. And then the company that I work for would then package those buildings or condominiums and sell them to investors. And so I utilized my skills in acquiring properties, understanding certain tax advantages associated with the so-called burbs. And then we would then sell them to investors. And I had a hand in preparing the package, marketing and legal. So I had a I had a I had a good background in understanding what a packaging, a real estate investment would look like to potential investors. And therefore, my first project was more or less like that, whereby I took those skill sets and purchased a a property, which um, I had to resell very quickly in order to be able to, uh, to close, essentially. I did not have the wherewithal to close, but I was able to bring in investors that I sold the units to and therefore was able to complete the purchase. And where was it? Richmond. Okay, interesting. So so Lenny, the, the first project was in Richmond. I'm kind of curious because your timing in, in arriving in Vancouver strikes me as, as fantastic timing. And it's even more interesting that you, you know, went across the country looking for opportunities. A couple years later, 
you build a site, you build a project, your first project in Richmond. Can you talk a, a little bit about what a deal looks like? Like, what are you looking for? I guess big picture and then small picture, like what a site, a good site looks like for Aragon. And I just want to add to that. Has it changed over time? <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> well, sure, it has changed over time, but I think there's a basic core of principles that I try to follow, right? I come from the background whereby even though I believe I'm a reputable developer now, I was a very small fish in a very large pond with little capital. So what I used to, when I still do, is think about how I can differentiate myself, right? You can compete in what I call various strategic areas. You can compete in the core. You're like everybody else. You're buying the best properties. Uh, you're paying the best high price. And you're competing with people and developers that have presumably as much capital, if not more than you, generally in that class of assets. So when I first started, I could not be in that particular arena. So I looked for sites that were a bit more offbeat, that were so-called not center ice, and therefore be able to try to do something else that's different in order to make that more attractive to the end purchasers. So I focused on architecture and design. So I would look at sites that were not center ice, that was a little bit off of center ice, that would not be focused by the so-called core players that had lots of capital, and try not to compete them, compete with purchasing those sites on price. Compete with them on things that are zoning-related, design-oriented, and therefore differentiate myself in being able to acquire those sites. It's interesting that you say that because I, I was, as I was driving here this morning, I was thinking about a few years back, I had a client who had absolutely no interest in Queensboro whatsoever. <laughs> I've also had a call client. Me, <laughs> call me because of the level of finish that one of your developments had, that he actually was considering moving to an area that was totally off his radar just because of the product. You must hear this a lot because I actually have a similar story. I think I started searching for a place with people years ago in like Yale town and they ended up in Queensboro. <laughs> <laughs> Queensboro is like the, it, it's, and it was it's so gravity. random. It was like, how did we end up here? <laughs> it's the sliding doors. It's the, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's the bifolds. <laughs> well, I think, uh, I mean, I have heard those stories and like we're chuckling now. I, I keep chuckling every time I hear about it. I would not say that that would be a completely well thought out strategy, <laughs> right? But I would say that what we do try to do is follow the strategy of trying to be different in what we do. And therefore, we put in features that are different. And over the years, with a combination of different individual items, they add up to call it five or six different items. And therefore, when people see it, they may have seen one or two of them, but they may not have seen five or six altogether. And therefore, it presents itself in its entirety as something that's desirable, that's not what they're used to seeing, let's say, in Queensboro. Sure. And I'm just thinking, because you're in, you've done now, Aragon does projects in LA, Toronto, Victoria, Victoria, Vancouver, Vancouver yeah. all over, right? So. Yes. You know, and thinking about the city going kind of like operating almost in the fringe a little bit. But when you apply that on a more macro scale, like how are you considering the different regions around North America? Well, I think um, 
It's a hard question to answer, but I, I think at the core of it is that as an individual and how I like to do things, I like to challenge myself and I'm, I like to be curious and, and see whether I can do it, right? So it comes from a competitive background whereby I think of what I do is basically a game, mm. right? It's no more than that in that it's no different than playing you know, tennis, basketball, squash, going for a hard run. It's trying to do the best you can in that particular moment. And so why I'm all over the place, if you may want to call it that, is because I'm thinking, okay, and, it's, and it goes in different stages. Uh, being from, um, and I'll just explain a couple of the, I guess, uh, locations and why I ended up there. Firstly, Toronto was the first different office that I opened up other than in Vancouver, because simply at that time, back in the um, late 80s and and early 90s, there was a sentiment that Toronto was the center of Canada and people from Vancouver and other developers were kind of flaky, if you want to call it, and could not make it back in Toronto. And there were some instances that happened. And I can't give you any examples right now because it's such a long time ago. But there was a sentiment that Toronto developers were better than Vancouver developers and Vancouver developers could not make it in Toronto. So when I thought about that, I said, I'm going to go back to Toronto and see if I can do well there. So that is a reason why I went back to Toronto to open an office. And further to that is kind of the same sentiment of how I opened an office in, um, let's say, in Los Angeles and in Victoria. And I have a small office in Hamilton as well. So that's the main core reason why I have tried to do more things in different cities. I'm just thinking about Vancouver because the strategy of of doing something unique that not every developer does or can do is an interesting one in that you have to assemble a team that can actually, first of all, you have to, I, I would guess, source higher end materials in a lot of cases and then assemble a team that does high level finishes and and knows how to do things that are maybe more architecturally sophisticated or or whatever, right? But then to actually apply that around North America, like how do you how do you go into a new area and 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 build a team and and develop a trades that actually can still meet your targets? I think, well, let's let's look at the two aspects that you talked about. Firstly, I think is the staffing that we can talk about. It's a challenge because I think our industry is not based on innovation per se. Our industry is really based on what's been done before and more or less regurgitating that. And so therefore, to get people to buy in to do that, which is more difficult, it is more difficult to do what we do because it's far easier to use the same plans and do some small adjustments and repeat. But I think we attract certain staffing that want to be a little bit different, right? Not that we're successful all the time. I won't say that we have uh, people that have been with us 35 years and nobody's left. That is not the case. But I think there are people that like what we do. Uh, it is more difficult. And therefore, they do gravitate to what we're trying to do a bit more. That's number one in terms of the staffing. Number two, when it comes to the trades, that's a more difficult task. Because one of the things that they want to do as a business is to be profitable. And any time that they see something that's a little different, they need to understand the risk versus the rewards. And some people, the trades, they do recognize that and they do want to do something different. But 
the majority of trades do not really want to do something different because they're looking after the bottom line. So to train them to do that is, again, a little bit more difficult. But over the course of time, you do get trades that are more accustomed to what you do, but you're never, you never do very well for the first one or two, let's just say that. Hmm. And and can we talk about, I mean, the other thing, so I think Aragon, it sounds like you've, we've talked about how you've differentiated the company in, in the development world. Mm -hmm. I, and when I think Aragon, I think in terms of marketing, you're also quite different in that you don't, and I, I hesitate to say never, but you, you often do not pre-sell a project, right? You build the project and let people come in and take a look before they buy, which is a, which is a totally different model. Can you talk about how that started, the challenges with that and, and, and why? So I think it goes back to the old strategy of trying to be different, right? Different in terms of the architecture and different in terms of the interior design. So in order to communicate the differentiation, when you do pre-sales, what are you working with? You're working with renderings, you're working with floor plans, and therefore people that are looking to purchase real estate would not pick up the differentiation when it comes to pre-sales. So when I thought about that, I said, you know, given our core strategy of being different in architecture and different and interior design, you better wait to let the people see it. Mm-hmm. That's the only time that they're going to really appreciate it. And so I developed that strategy as a result of the core strategy of being different. Uh, the challenges that we face as a developer that do that is that we're exposing ourselves to people that are going to be looking at it as a home for themselves. They're not looking at it as an investment. So we rarely sell to investors. Mm-hmm. Almost all of our purchasers are homeowners and therefore they're more critical. They do look at, okay, you know, what's the finishing? They walk through and they notice all of the deficiencies, right? They notice their neighborhoods. They notice their neighbors. They notice what's right and they notice what's wrong. Mm-hmm. And therefore it is, it forces us and I'm my own humble opinion to be a better developer because we have to pay more attention to the details. Mm-hmm. I feel like the constant theme here is that you like challenges. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't make it easy for myself. I would say. <laughs> what What does a day in the life look like? Because I, I know uh, we were just taught we were laughing when we before we push record here about how, you know, it seems like every day we're trying to pack more into one day. What, is, what does a, a typical day look like for you? Well, uh, a typical day would be starting usually around eight o'clock in the office or in a coffee shop, having casual meetings. And then generally speaking, I have a full agenda of, of tasks that I want to try to accomplish, be it meetings or um, actually um, design focus, um, marking up drawings, um, marking up interior design concepts to provide feedback to the team that I work with. And the team is comprising generally of architects, engineers, interior design, and and people that work with us. Uh, So there is a lot packed in. Uh, I don't think in one-hour increments. I think in five-minute increments. Interesting. And are you involved in all aspects of the development then? 
Like, because often people in your position are not necessarily looking at the the small details, but it sounds like you're fairly involved in in the whole process. Yeah, I don't know what other people do in terms of people, like you said, in my position, but I, I am involved in everything from marking up uh, floor plans and looking at interior design concepts. And, you know, we have great interior design team, I would say. And therefore, we're able to work through it together in terms of what that might look like. And and since I'm also involved in construction, right, because my technical background gives me a bit of uh, an edge in certain things, we prepare what I call scopes of work in order for us to communicate what we want to be built and detailed to the contractors. And as a result of being involved in that process of understanding the pricing and the cost implications of those items, I get a good feel for what is a cost-effective item, let's just say, and design-oriented and how we can incorporate it into our overall development. So with those knowledge of being an all-around guy, I'm not great at anything, but I understand a lot of the divisions of the industry, I'm able to um, have input into a lot of things. Maybe switching gears a little bit, I'm I'm kind of curious to hear your take on the on the market currently. As, as sp- specifically thinking about, you know, starting in a high interest rate environment when you started, does this remind you of any moment? Does this remind you of the '80s in any way, or another moment in your career? Well, I would say yes. I think the general answer is that this particular cycle, every cycle is different. I don't think you can ever call one cycle identical to another. But it has similarities, right? I think definitely we are coming into a market which is a big unknown. Nobody really knows where it's going. I mean, it's had a few, let's say, small ups and downs within the last, call it, last year, right? We came off uh, a, a period of time through COVID where if you're lucky to hold real estate and you wanted to sell it, you would sell it. It wasn't hard. No. And it was hard to construct because the trades um, were difficult to get. They were very busy. That continues to this day, even though the selling side of the market is not as vibrant. Where it would go from here, I think uh, anybody that says that they know where it's going, probably they may be right 50% of the time, and 50% of the time they're not going to be right. I don't think anybody really has a crystal ball. There are worldwide events that are happening that are beyond anybody's control. You have some very smart people being central bankers that are very, very intelligent, but they don't get it right either. So I just know that as a developer and and builder, you just have to be very, I guess, cautious during this period of time because there's not a indicator in terms of the trends of where it's going. And therefore, you have to be nimble and be able to uh, to go if the market goes up or be more cautious if the market goes down. I like this idea of there's there's no clear indication as to where we're headed. Has there been another moment like that for you? Like this seems really, the instability of this moment seems somewhat unique in my mind. Well, I would I would go back to, I believe, the Asian currency problem that happened in, um, I'm going to call it 1996, 97, when, when there was this big unknown in terms of um, 
where the market was going. There were periods of, there was during that period where there was not a lot of liquidity in, in the real estate market. And therefore the market was pretty frozen. And I would think back to that time as being a time when um, it was pretty unstable mm-hmm. um, and nobody knew where, where things were. I don't think it's as bad as that, but I think there is definitely lots of guesswork as to where the marketplace is. So there's that instance where I, 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 I recall that it is uh, like that. And there would be one or two other instances where certain periods of time where you're wondering where it's going. Mm-hmm. And and with the, I guess, prefacing with caution, do you see opportunities right now for either real estate investors, people looking to acquire land? I think it all depends on your cash position. It always comes down to that, right? If uh, you happen to be in a position where you have cash, right, and there are unstable environment and you see opportunities and you have the cash, then you can jump in. Right. A lot of times when it's unstable, you can't separate yourself from the pack because you don't have cash either. <laughs> frankly. Right. For the opportunities, but you're not in a position to do so. So it's it's all somewhat luck and timing in, in how you're able to capitalize the opportunities in the marketplace. Right. So Lenny, part of your training, obviously, and in, in your story is is kind of being an opportunity finder in many ways, looking for like the next opportunity like Vancouver was for you in the 80s. Maybe in thinking of the Lower Mainland, do you see any areas in the Lower Mainland that you're, you're kind of really excited about or where you, where you think they have a bright future? That's a two-edged sword question. <laughs> <laughs> and I got to be careful with how I answer this because I'm obviously selling Timberhouse right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, which we'll talk about. Which, which we are going to talk about, yeah. Hey, everyone. Pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah, you know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the and way. And I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer, and they're looking for both donations, and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, 
new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. Well, I think it's no secret that Vancouver and the Lower Mainland has had a, a tremendous amount of increase in its value in the last little while. Almost to the point whereby I would not be in a minority in having sticker shock at looking at pricing of condominiums, land, and everything else associated with anything that you want to buy, right? So uh, that would be my first observation that everything is very expensive over in the lower mainland. But there is a, a market that is in a, I guess, a you can call it a flux point. It can go up, it can go down. As I've said earlier, I do not have a call for that. What we do is we sell to homeowners who have a need, uh, not as an investment vehicle. So when I look at the real estate market here in the lower mainland, I look at uh, locations whereby it's not well served and therefore be able to produce a unique product that caters to the homeowner purchasers that I have in mind. So having said that, do I know of any great hidden opportunities in the lower man? Lower mainland? No, I, I don't really have that uh, opinion in terms of a, uh, a hidden area that would do better than others. Mm. What about expanding out to the province? Any hidden gems there? <laughs> <laughs> and then we're going to go to Canada and then we'll go to North America. <laughs> well, I would say that what I see a lot is people migrating outside of Vancouver because of the equity and the appreciation of the real estate that they own here, right? And so I think there are two main areas where uh, they're looking at, and one is the Okanagan Valley and the other is on the island. I looked at the um, Victoria versus Okanagan versus the north of Vancouver being the uh, Whistler Corridor. I would say I looked at that almost 10 years ago, and I concluded that for the lifestyle me personally, I chose the uh, island, uh, Victoria, Vancouver Island market. And I do still see that there are little better opportunities there because it's a very desirable part of the world. Climate is, is great. The lifestyle is great. And for people that are starting in terms of their family, you can still get reasonable amount of real estate being housing that's comparable to what you would find here, but a lesser plus point. So I've, uh, I have a big footprint over in, uh, in the Vancouver Island, Victoria market right now. And maybe pivoting because, because Aragon has been very active in new West and we've, we've talked a lot about new Westminster on the show. First of all, just how walkable it is. You've got the sky trains, you've got the old township. It's, it's a, it's a great community, but also why, why does, why, why do you like new West and why have, have you, gone into that market um, fairly aggressively? Well, I think uh, it goes back to the, um, the strategies I had of looking at sites which are, as I said, uh, quote unquote, uh, off-center ice. And uh, Queensborough and the site that we have been developing over the past more or less 25 years, we purchased that in 1998 or just before then. And we've developed uh, Port Royal, which is um, uh, basically about a 50-acre master plan project that we've built about 1,300 units in. So I just saw that as an opportunity to create my own community 
and be able to, as a result of a master plan, be able to put in a design that would be challenging to get approved elsewhere. But if you have a bigger working platform, as we did in that particular site, we were able to plan out in the future 10, 15 years from that period of time as to what we would be doing. And so we were able to more or less be able to design and put into place zoning uh, that would allow us to be more flexible. Can we, can we talk maybe about Timber House? And I'm just thinking it's, it's the largest residential mass timber project. Why mass timber? And can you talk a little bit about just, just what went into the thinking around this development? Yes, uh, Timber House uh, is our last project in Port Royal. Uh, when I thought about the, um, the design and the development, I said to myself, I thought, okay, this is basically a piece of land that we've owned for 25 years. We can be even more innovative than what we've done in the past. Whereby I looked at our, let's say, our bottom line, and I said, let's not think about development conventionally on that basis. Think about doing something that's different and unique and that you can learn from and maybe apply to other projects. And so when I did that research and saw that CLT was an emerging technology, um, I looked at it and, and tried to determine at what scale, how we can use it to our advantage and basically come up with a design that other people may not have thought of at that time. So in sewing, going through that process, we came up with trying to incorporate as much uh, mass timber and CLT as there was in the marketplace and try to exceed that. And so that's was kind of is the evolution of how we got to uh, build uh, timber house. And the benefit, we've talked a little bit about mass timber on the show previously, specifically, I think Rocky Sethi was the... Right. But uh, but can just for listeners who who don't know anything about it, the benefits why why you're attracted to mass timber? Well, mass timber right has various um, I guess labels right. Generally speaking, mass timbers is uh, identifying uh, buildings which uh, have been built with cross laminated timber, which is CLT. It's seen as being a very green material because it is produced in the factory. And it's very precise and it replaces some building materials such as concrete and steel, which are not as environmentally friendly. It's seen as being more superior to conventional wood frame building because it is um, more precise, it's sturdier, and it has um, qualities which, if you were able to expose it, as we have in Timber House, would make you feel more part of nature. In essence, it's people may know as post and beam homes, mm -hmm. but much further than that, whereby post and beam just define the post and the beams. Uh, with mass timber, you can do post and beam, but you can also do walls and ceilings now. And that's completely exposing the wood as part of that uh, genre of housing. And in Presumably soundproofing is better with CLT as well? Yes. Uh, conceptually, right? It all has to be engineered and designed properly, but it does have more massing 
and more density than a conventional two by four or two by six wall. And I'm just thinking about the structure at UBC that's, I believe, one of the highest mass timber sites, if I'm not mistaken, but you can go higher with CLT as well. Yeah, I think the the project that you're referring to is called um, Brock Common. Brock Common. And uh, that was uh, built in UBC by the UBC Properties Trust. So that was conceived, I would say, I'm going to guess about 10 years ago when the building code and the acceptance of mass timber was in a different time. And when it was designed at that time, the building authorities did not want the mass timber exposed because they did not accept the um, the fire rating at that time. So uh, at Brock's Common, they had to encase all of the mass timber with drywall. Since that period of time and Let's go back to maybe five years ago when we started to design Timber House. The authorities, the building um, municipalities, the building code, the fire engineers, they evolved to a stage whereby they would accept the fire rating of the mass timber structurally on its own without having to encase it with drywall. And so I I heard that, and, and then when I investigated what that meant, I came up with the concept of timber house, whereby we would expose as much of the CLT as the FAR code would allow us to do, which is a lot in our case, which was basically walls, ceilings, the whole gamut of what you would see in a home. That's incredible. And from the perspective of working with the municipality, has working with CLT given you any kind of, do they look at it um, from a perspective of relaxations because of the it's more of a green initiative or has it given you a, a leg up in dealing with the municipalities or I would say not it's actually conversely more challenging yes because um like I said going back to our industry it's it's based on precedence and and redoing the same thing when you introduce something new and building authorities as they should be more careful in what they allow they're not trying to innovate they're always looking at the safety factors. And so when it comes to a new building like ours, even though there were codes that was approved nationally, provincially, when it comes down to the municipal level, they want more belts and suspenders. So when we made our application, they wanted second opinion. So we had to get another expert in the industry to look at our drawings and our details and the way we were building it and provide a second opinion to the municipal authorities before they would endorse our project and issue a building permit. And how has the market responded? I think there are people that really love what we do. And for those people that like the, I would say, the earth, earthy, the timber, the wood aspect of things, they love it. For those people that don't want that, there are a certain percentage of people that want drywall. And uh, we don't cater to that. But I would say from what I've seen from the purchasers and the people and the prospects that have walked through our project, they do think it's very unique and they do like the aspect of being surrounded by more wood. I wonder if there's any, and maybe you know the answer to this, or, or maybe this is not even a thing, but that kind of, that natural element actually 
helping with mood and happiness. Like, I wonder if there's a correlation there or if it's just... Well, there's another building at, at UBC. I think it's the Learning Center, the IK Barber Learning Center that they, like, the way that they designed it, they actually had based it on studies of, of, of learning and mood, really, right? Well, I, I won't say I'm an expert. I don't <laughs> want to say that I'm an expert. Can you give us the definitive answer? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I think it goes back to nature. Right. I think it goes back to we as human beings, how we evolve. And I think logically we, you know, we grew up in the woods, we grew up in the caves and we grew up in a natural environment. And I think this is just a uh, further extension of that, whereby if you bring in more natural materials, you feel better. Mm-hmm. That's the only explanation that I can give you as to how I feel when I'm in a place like that. I mean, makes a lot of sense. So can we talk a little bit about Timberhouse? So um, the number of units in this offering, um, maybe the, the makeup of the, the different units, two beds, one beds, two beds, three beds, just the overall general sense of the offering. Well, the project consists of 87 units and it's, um, we have a very big central courtyard and there's three buildings that surround that central courtyard and we have exterior corridors. So everybody has their own front door. Number of units there are, we have going from one bedrooms to two to three bedrooms to even four bedrooms. And we have difference uh, in terms of styling. We have regular condominium apartment like, and then we have townhouses and then we have uh, lofts because of the fact that the mass timber allows us to have bigger spans because they're structurally more sound than regular two by six or two by eight uh, dimensional lumber. And therefore, we have spans and we have ceilings that are 20 feet high. Um, so we have great spaces as a result of using the CLT. You know, maybe as a, well, I, I think as a, a final question here, and I don't mean to get lofty, but I'm just, one thing that strikes me, Lenny, is is you're, you're unique to most of the people we talk to. And I'm wondering about like, I'm trying to think how to phrase this. What is your why? Because... And and why I say this is it seems like when you're, you're talking about Timberhouse, you made a decision, okay, it's not about extracting the most profit or making it as easy as possible to, to get out and move on. You know, I, I understand the differentiation model in terms of, of separating yourself from the pack, but it strikes me as like, is it leaving a, leaving a, is it about legacy? Is it about leaving a, a, a mark of like unique buildings or is it just, like what, what is the, cause the other thing that strikes me and maybe this is getting a little is, is that it's hard to, at least in my mind, it's hard to set yourself apart from an entire industry, even just a little bit consistently over the course of 30, 40 years. Like that takes effort to do that. So, I mean, there, is there a larger kind of like mission statement <laughs> for Aragon? That was lofty. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a, that's a very uh, deep question. <laughs> I think I'll give you a simple answer. Okay. No, I don't. I, no, I, I, never, I never thought of trying to leave my, you know, a legacy or anything that deep and uh, that brilliant, frankly. I think um, as an engineer, I'm just, I'm just a process type of a guy, actually. And so, um, when I think about what we try to do, I just keep on the process of trying not to do the same thing all the time. 
Not that I don't. Like I said before, there are times when there are things that you have to do. Like we've done a hundred projects, not hundreds, they're not a hundred different projects, but there are times when I look at what we're doing and I think, okay, you know, enough of that. Let's try something else. So that is really as simple as that I can tell you. There's, and my wife would tell you, there's sometimes not a lot of great thought that what I do. (laughs) (laughs) And, but, you know, there is, there is some consistencies sometimes. Right, right. Well, Lenny, we have this uh, segment called the five wire, five lighthearted questions that we end every show with. Can you stick around for that? Sure. Okay, excellent. The five wire is brought to you by Scalina Real Estate. Hey, that sounds familiar. Scalina Real Estate is a full service real estate company serving Vancouver, offering comprehensive tried and tested buyer and seller systems. With over a decade in the top 10% of realtors in the lower mainland and a perfect five-star Google review, Scalina Real Estate can help with all your real estate needs. We also have an extensive network of the best industry professionals and trades right across the country. There's no reason to not get in touch. Head over to scalinarealestate.com to find out more. Number one is what is one book that you would recommend for our listeners? Well, I would say, I would tell you what my favorite book is, because I don't know if I want to... uh, I can't tell you I'm a voracious reader. Uh, I try to keep up um, with the um, the technology and all the trade issues that uh, that we have. So, but the one book I would say that I would highly uh, suggest people read would be The Lord of the Rings. That would be the book oh. that that in my um, in my in my past is the one book that I I just gravitate to as being my favorite book. Good one. Fantastic. In the last few years, is there a new belief, behavior, or habit that has improved your life? Hmm. I think everybody always refines what they do, right? I would say that it's always refinements. I'm not sure if I've found a revelation if what I think is more of uh, the tone of your question. Is there something totally new that I found that has changed my life? And I would say no. I think it's, it's, a, it's, it's always fine-tuning understanding what you believe in uh, as a person um, and trying to be better at it um, and looking at the ways that you can improve either as a, um, for me, as a leader, as a father, as a business owner, as a person. So uh, I do think about that on a constant basis of how I can improve on those areas. What have you been binge watching or a, a movie recommendation? (laughs) <laughs> I'm not a binge watch, uh, watcher. Um, I, I enjoy watching any movie with my with my daughter. Um, and I saw Spider Man over the weekend, um, and I can't tell you I understood the uh, the new <laughs> Spider Man movie. I think there are nuances and um, and plots that uh, you um, that escapes uh, a certain generation. And, and for me, <laughs> I happen to be in the lost generation when it comes to the Spider Man movies. <laughs> Fantastic. Favorite band or music, Lenny? And we know you like music. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Favorite band. I'm an easy listener type of uh, person. And uh, I would say my favorite band would be uh, Simon and Garfunkel. Oh, nice. Okay. That's the first time we've had Simon and Garfunkel. <laughs> uh, and last but not least, something that you've purchased for under $1,500 that has had a positive impact on your life. Under fifteen hundred dollars, positive impact on my life recently. I guess you would say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what would that be? I don't buy a lot of things. Under fifteen hundred dollars. 
maybe a tennis racket, a new tennis racket that I, I purchased. Gonna, I almost wanted to bring up tennis before. You play a lot of tennis? I try to play a lot of tennis. Uh, I could improve a lot more in tennis. So that's why I have to play more. Is pickleball, has that entered the scene or are you resisting? No, I enjoy pickleball. My wife really likes to play pickleball. It's uh, it's a great sport, great for social uh, get-togethers. And um, I'm a big believer, if you get out and do something, whatever you like, go do it. Fantastic. Well, maybe we'll leave it there. Thank you so much, Lenny. And how can people find out more about uh, what you're doing over at Aragon and Timberhouse? I think you can just go to um, Aragon's website, aragon.ca, or go to Timberhouse and uh, do a search and you'll find us there. Just as a final question, Aragon, is there a meaning behind Aragon? I, we should have asked that at the at the outset. It, it's, uh... <laughs> well, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of an uh, interesting small note. Um, when I was starting to um, my company, I had to think of a name like everybody else does. I had a stupid name that people told me was stupid. <laughs> I, can, I can tell you what, what that yeah, was. Yeah. Um, and that name was uh, Zexus. It was Z-E-X-U-S. Why I chose that name at first, because I thought, okay, kind of mysterious. People don't know what it is. Then people said, well, what do you call that name? It's sexist. You, like, you're going to get yourself all sorts of trouble. <laughs> yeah, that's immediately what I was thinking. So, <laughs> I dropped that. You can't. Uh, yeah, so I was driving around Richmond. I, I do remember the actual moment. And um, I said, okay, what else do I do as number two? And then I came up with The Lord of the Rings. And I said, okay, what's a character that I liked? And it was Aragorn. And of course, I spelled it wrong and I called it Aragorn. And, uh, but that's how I got Aragorn. It was, I it, if it was it, the Lord of the Rings. Is, oh. Yes, it was, it was a connection. But I think, um, I, I think they spell Aragorn the same as Aragorn, but I think right. it's, it's, it's that character. And so that's how I got Aragorn. And and we're keeping the real estate facts. Uh, this is like almost like a real estate trivia. We, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <okay. laughs> Amazing. Well, thanks so much, Lenny, for, for your time. Uh, fantastic conversation. And thanks for coming down to the studio. Thank you very much. It was very, uh, it was fun to be with you guys. So there you have it, folks, our discussion with Lenny Moy, founder and president of Aragon Properties. Really enjoyed having Lenny on the show. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Lenny now. I, I Obviously, over the years, we've known Aragon, but I feel like there's so many interesting things, even right down to the name. Yeah. Right? Like it's, uh, also, just the, the fact that they don't have to and, don't, and, and it's not in their best interest to pre-sell properties is like, just speaks volumes, right? Like, no, people need to see this. Well, like, the other, that's the whole model. The other cool thing, and I mean, obviously, he's a really humble guy, and I didn't, I didn't want to like double down on this too hard. But the coolest thing that he said was like, if they have a site that they've had for years, so presumably they bought, they, you know, in the late nineties, you know, how cheap oh, the yeah, land was, and he's basically like giving. So I'm just picturing like a young architect or design designer who's on his team, and he basically says. Let's learn on this one. Yeah. Like, let's push boundaries and learn because we have margins. Like let's let's actually just learn. It's like I was talking to a planner the other day who was telling me um in his role, and I won't say too much about it, but just how limited the ability is to to experiment experiment, in experiment any way. or have freedom in the design process. 
And it's like, it, it just makes you think it's just so cool. The gift that he's kind of giving his team as well. Yeah, no, I didn't, I didn't even think of that, but you're right. And it's, uh, it, they're a unique company here in the lower mainland for sure. And to marry that kind of desire to be challenged at every, at every moment, do the things that you're talking about and be a wildly successful development company. It's like, man. Winning on a lot of different levels. Winning on a lot of different levels. That's for sure. So no, it was great having Lenny here. What else do we have before we cut for the day, Adam? We have VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. This is, of course, our new revamped user-friendly website. Head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com for all things real estate related. I think I've said this before, but I'll say it again. You can search. So if you're interested in specific types of information over the years on the podcast. A lot of it is evergreen, so it's still useful. You can search and go back and listen to those episodes. We have the live wire. This is our weekly mailer where we have VIP pre-sale access. We have deal of the month. We have stats, different types of stats, stats before anyone else, the catalog. It's there's no reason why you shouldn't be on this list. We also have, of course, private client services. Yeah, Matt, because really, if you're a buyer in Vancouver and you're not using PCS, you're standing still where the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor-level information for free. It's available at your fingertips over at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. You just click buy with us. You can sign up for your own free PCS account. This is the way to look for real estate in Vancouver. So you should be signed up. Feel free to use our resources. And uh, the other thing, Matt, I will say just quickly, because bit of a feather in our cap, but we were just in the uh, business in Vancouver and Vancouver is awesome. Uh, just recently here, it's probably still going to be available by the time this airs with the real estate in the Real Estate Excellence magazine. Right, They did a feature on us, which uh, really nice write-up. Some quotes. They took a lot of your quotes, not so many. You know of what? Mine. It was in. It was over the phone, and I think they were thinking it was just one of us. Is it possible that we have similar sounding voices? <laughs> the poll quotes. Some of that I did not say. No, you, a lot I of think, it. I, I think, think I said. I think. Yeah. I think it was all you. You're getting. You're getting a lot of credit. I'm, I'm getting a lot of credit. Anyways, if you want to read that, you can find it. Uh, through the Google, I think. Yeah, exactly. Way to do that. Um, it's also going to be featured on our Instagram, which is Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. Uh, so you can follow us on Instagram. And we also else, we Matt. also were provided hard copies. So if anyone wants a hard copy, <laughs> I'm not sure what we're going to do with those. Uh, oh man! Yeah, but uh, what are we going to do with those? Yeah, yeah. firewood or yeah. fire fire paper? Fire paper? Yeah. Is that what you say? I don't know. But anyway, if you want to get in touch. Anytime, 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. And of course, we have that Kokomo line info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. We'll have a great week. Hopefully you enjoyed that episode. We're back with some more great content. We have so many amazing guests lined up. So come on back next week and uh, we'll see you then. Take care. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today.